Welcome to Above the Horizontal, a podcast about rugby league. I'm Bo Nicholson, and this week we present the Above the Horizontal Awards for Round 8, suggest why now is the time for experimentation at the Broncos, name the worst signing in recent NRL history, and give our bold predictions for Round 9. But first, a quiz. It's quiz time, and remember, no cheating. Question 1. How many teams have won the Premiership at least three times in the NRL era since 1998? Stay tuned for more questions and, of course, for the answers. And now it's time for the Above the Horizontal Awards. Welcome to Above the Horizontal, a rugby league podcast. My name is Bo Nicholson. As always, I am joined by Kieran Gibson and Miles Stedman. And we always like to start off our shows with the Above the Horizontal Awards, this time for round eight. And we'll start off with best bold prediction. Now, mine uh, wasn't the most bold prediction. Uh, It was that two bottom four teams would win in round eight. And considering that the Warriors and the Broncos were playing against each other, I figured that was a safe bet that at least one team would win. Uh, And the Warriors did, thank goodness. Uh, But the Titans fell to the Sharks and the Bulldogs put up a decent fight against the Rabbitohs but couldn't get the win. So uh, my default one victory uh, did come to fruition. Uh, Kieran, your prediction was that Nathan Cleary would uh, continue his red-hot form and get three Dallium votes. How did that go for you? Uh, Nathan Cleary ended up with zero Dallium votes, so it, it didn't go great. Um, he, he did kick the, the match-sealing uh, field goal. Um, I guess that meant that the Tigers couldn't uh, claw their way back into the game, but, yeah, it's a, a miss this week again. Yeah, he... Um... He got the three Dalian votes in spirit, as far as I'm concerned, for that field goal. <laughs> and and Miles, Miles Stedman, uh, you had two try assists and player of the game for Dal- Dylan Brown. Now, I, I've got to say, I reckon Clint Gutherson may have pipped him for player of the game. Look, he probably did. Um, well, he certainly did officially. But look, maybe I can make it up. Uh, Dylan Brown had three try assists, so... Um, I, I'm not sure if that kind of gives my bowl prediction a bit more weight or whether I take out the win here or I don't know what, what the, the status is here, guys. Kieran, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to him, I think. I reckon getting three yeah. try assists when you predict two, that's even <laughs> better. Uh, well done, Miles. Uh, your first victory in our bowl predictions category. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I look forward to another next week. <laughs> Talking a big game early. Uh, speaking of big games, the next <laughs> award is best match. Oh, uh, so smooth. Is, is <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, is there is there really any debate on this one, guys? Uh, Storm versus Roosters, two high quality teams with a heck of a finish to the eighty minutes. Shame about the deciding penalty. Uh, Miles, what was your best match? Yeah, no fight from me. It was an instant classic, and I think for me, it also showed that. Poor discipline can inflict defeat on any team, no matter how good they may seem to be. So uh, a big victory there for those uh, really disciplined teams in the league. And Kieran, is that three from three? That's three from three. It was um, probably the most exciting last two minutes of a a regular season game, maybe ever, um, before heading to extra time. And um, yeah, Storm without without Munster just show that they can still do it, even against the, the best in the comp. 
Yeah, it's ominous signs for all those teams. And you've got to think, like, you know, the Eels and the Panthers and the, the Knights are all having good seasons so far. But uh, the Storm and the Roosters are just greasing those oils nicely. Uh, uh, greasing those wheels, I mean, nicely at this time of the year. The best moment for me was when Isaiah Papali'i crashed over to give the Warriors an unbeatable lead. After what they'd been through, wasn't it good to see their celebrations at the end of the game? Kieran, what was your best moment? I had Kyle Flanagan's penalty goal from close to the sideline and I don't know, maybe 25 plus meters out. Uh, it not only set the game into into a field goal or match winner frenzy mode, but it was Flanagan's fourth kick from the sideline all night and the most important, um, leveling the game. And he absolutely nailed it. Uh, this kid, he's, he's, I think I spoke about him last week or possibly two weeks ago. He's, for me, come from nowhere and the form he's shown... Um, he's really coming along nicely. It's, it's definitely surprised me, and I I can only see his career getting better and better from here. I don't see him just being in a good system and playing all right. I really think this kid has has got a, a good career ahead of him. Which has just got New South Wales fans licking their lips with a <laughs> with a decade long battle between Kyle Flanagan and Nathan Cleary for the far <laughs> back row. Jeez. Um, it has got shades of maybe not quite Bulldogs letting Jonathan Thurston go to keep Sherwin, but Sharks letting Flanagan go to keep Townsend an interesting choice. Uh, Miles, what was your best moment? Well, I, I had a similar sort of coming from nowhere moment in Ryan Pappenhausen. Um, I didn't know that he had that, uh, that cleaner strike on the drop goal in him, but um, they, they went back to him maybe um, nervously so as well, and he, he really hit it well. Of course, the the drop goal I referred to, the one that tied the game right at the end there, and it it actually had some Braith and Asta to it, really, um, from the the 2010 uh, semi final which we reviewed all those months ago. So it was uh, a really interesting um, proposition from him, and and of course sent the game into extra time. So it was uh, that was my best moment of the of the week, which they ended on up winning. So well done to them, and well done to you referencing our uh, was that a couple of months ago? Was it really? It have to be now. Yeah, Goodness I think me. so. Wow, well, we're getting old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of getting old, that's terrible. And worst moment of the week, my actually worst moment might be that terrible segue. Uh, <laughs> I'll just I'll change my answer right now. No, uh, the worst moment for me was when Adam Fenua Blake brought the game into disrepute with his name-calling of the referee, which not only was offensive to the official, but also offensive to an entire community of people with a disability, many of whom bloody love rugby league. The bullshit apology and slap on the wrist suspension is not enough for me. The game, the club, and the player need to stand up for people with disabilities, not shit on them, and paper over it with press releases. And I'm glad to see, actually, that the NRL acting CEO is looking further into it to see if he will get more than two weeks uh, as a as an anti-vilification breach. Miles, that's a tough act to follow. Uh, what's your what's your worst moment? <laughs> no, it, it's um. I thought you might say that to or, or Kieran or whoever came before me. So I, uh, in the interest of making things different, I have gone with something else, and that's the uh, uh, what I really uh, thought was the worst moment was the Panthers and Tigers turning what I thought was genuinely a, a really tough and hard-fought game into thuggery by the end of it. Um, I thought it kind of further gave credence to those who maybe want to soften the game around the edges a little and, and you know, I, I'm all for player safety, but uh, maybe take the, the footy out of footy. 
um, you, you like to see these kind of really tough games go through without anyone kind of getting whacked across the chops or or getting hurt. And, and by the end, I thought it had just turned into a bit of a farce. So I was disappointed in both teams um, in that instance. Yeah, uh, 100%. It was a bit of an ugly round of football at, at different times. Uh, Kieran, what was your worst moment? Yeah, I had I had Adam Fanua Blake's um, expletive messages for the referees at the death, um, and it just kind of makes me think that uh, as sad as it sounds, I, I think players need to be educated on on uh, suitable language um, almost because they should know that that language isn't really um, something that they should be using, whether it's in a game or or even during training on the paddock. It's just not in the spirit of any game, or or it shouldn't be used anywhere at any time. So. That took my worst moment, and uh, yeah, it's something that hit a little close, too close to home as well. Just not, not the the nicest thing to hear. Yeah, I as I'm, I'm sure you've heard it all your life as well. Uh, growing up with a brother with disability, uh, it's it does hit close to home. So that one, that one was tough. I, I hope the NRL does look more into it. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's let's change gears into something a bit nicer. MVP for the week. Uh, Mr. Clint Gutherson does cop a bit of a spray occasionally on this uh, on this podcast for being maybe not the most uh, speedy fullback going around, but gosh, did he try hard? And he actually had a lot of really nice touches against against the Cowboys, who were pretty hapless to be fair. But uh, three try assists, a whole bunch of run meters. It was just full of skill and tenacity. So Clint Gutherson for me, uh, Kieran, who is your MVP? I had a, a player from the same game. I had Dylan Brown for stepping up to shine without their supposed best half in Moses. Um, Brown definitely has Moses beaten in the beatboxing department. But uh, <laughs> as as Miles touched on, he, he ended the game with three try assists, uh, over 100 running meters. And just in general, I thought he really um, played really well. Uh, he had Jai Field debuting, or maybe not debuting, uh, maybe not even debuting for the Eels, actually. It might have been his second or third game, but the point was that he, he really led the side around well and uh, Jai Field was able to shine as well um, due to that leadership, I thought. He had a, an outstanding game and I thought that was built on Dylan Brown's control. Well, that, that lends even more credence to uh, Miles's bold prediction earlier. Uh, Miles, you'd be happy with that. What is what is your MVP? Yeah, I'm very happy with that, but funnily enough, I've also gone Clinton Gutherson. Um, I think he proved that... Uh, that, uh, a really good skill set from a fullback can kind of paper over uh, maybe basically any of the athletic cracks in his game. Um, as as you guys have said, we've kind of um, dunked on him a little bit for not being the fastest or not being the most uh, athletically gifted guy in the number one jersey, but um, he played a hell of a game on the weekend, so kudos to him. Uh, speaking of, of heroes in a blue and yellow jersey, the Unsung Hero <laughs> Award this week goes to... <laughs> how good are my segues today? <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> um, the Unsung Hero Award goes to Reed Marnie for me. He does the little things really well, uh, which is what a good hooker does. Uh, a big reason that Gutherson and Brown were able to turn even numbers into wingers being on their own was Marnie's beautiful long passes, putting them outside their man. And keep in mind that he also patrols that middle third of the field defensively for 80 minutes. Uh, he's a heck of a player, Reed Marnie. And, and uh, Queensland's hooker jersey for the next decade, it's looking like a tantalizing little battle between Marnie and Harry Grant from the Tigers. Uh, Miles, who was your unsung hero? 
Look, I, uh, as much as I don't like the Dragons, um, I'm happy to be giving this award out because I think I'm not a bad sport. Um, my unsung hero is actually Adam Clune. Um, I thought him and his, uh, of course, combined with Matt Dufty, his, his left edge is really kind of uh, helping the Dragons have this little bit of mini revival that they're having, or a, I guess maybe not that, but maybe more of a, a mini re- resurrection of pride. But look, Clune was really thrown into the fire, um, so to speak, a few weeks ago when he made his debut and he hasn't obviously been the best halfback in the NRL, but he's done a really good job, I thought. So uh, credit to him. It has allowed Paul McGregor to put Ben Hunt in his his best position as well, uh, which, and McKinnis into lock. So he has done a really great job. I agree with you. Kieran, who's your unsung hero? Uh, I've gone with Andrew McCulloch. Um, the last few weeks since he's gone to the Knights, I think he's um, epitomized kind of what the town is about, and that's uh, their kind of worksmanship attitude. Um, and against the Sea Eagles, he came up with two try savers. And as you were um, highlighting with Marnie, he just delivers the ball to his playmakers beautifully. Um, and just all around, I think he's been a great signing and uh, one of those guys that's gone under the radar a little bit. It was a tough win uh, for the Knights against the Sea Eagles on the weekend, and that's the kind of game that suits him down to a T. Uh, the next award is the Wildcard Award, uh, where we get to pick one random award, name it whatever we want, really. Uh, and this week, I've gone with the Robin Williams Award for Holy Shit, We Miss You During These Tough Times, uh, which which did get aired, well, not aired, it got a, a test run uh, last week when we couldn't get our episode to air. So I'm going to run it again this week because... Tom Travojevic almost certainly helps the Sea Eagles beat the Sharks two weeks ago and an injury-ravaged Newcastle Knights on Sunday. Instead of sitting 10th, which they do now, uh, if they won both of those games, they would be 4th. And we're talking about a very, very different season for the Sea Eagles. So Tom Travojevic wins the Robin Williams Award for Holy Shit, We Miss You During These Tough Times. Miles, what is your wildcard award? Well, Bo, I think you'll be proud of me. I... um. Hadn't previously given out a Fred Astaire award for excellent footwork, but I'm going to this week to Viliami Kikau for proving here that uh, maybe he's uh, where his dancing skills lack. They're certainly irrelevant when it came to some passion and energy for his his dancing in the, the locker room after that big grin over the Tigers. And look, we we all know Fred Astaire, fantastic dancer, of course, but also a great actor and singer. Um, maybe Viliami Kikau himself is also a triple threat. I'm not sure about his acting skills, but he, uh, if you'll remember, led the Fijian hymns at the, the most recent World Cup. So we know he's an excellent singer too. So right. hell, maybe there's the two have uh, more in common than uh, initially would have thought. Maybe, uh, who knows, maybe we get uh, Dylan Brown to lay a, a, lay a beat for him and we'll have the Army <laughs> kick out going. Great guns. Uh, and Miles, I'm always proud of you, uh, but I am especially proud of you oh, right now for that. Thank you, Thank uh, you. Speaking of pride, Kieran, you often fill me with pride. What's your wildcard award? Uh, I had Andrew McCulloch for filling me with pride um, with for the Matt Singh Award for Best Try Saver. Um, he, whilst he, that's, uh, my sort of best attempt at a segue, um, <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> um, but whilst he, he's not really, um, or sorry, he's not, it wasn't the best, uh, try saver. His, his try saving attempt on Brad Parker, I really had to highlight just because I think it was Anari Tuala who came in off his wing, um, and he had to, and, uh, he sort of fell off the tackle of Brad Parker and, 
maybe it's uh, I'm highlighting this because if it was the Cowboys, nobody would have made the tackle, so it looks even better. But um, McCulloch, McCulloch did really, really well he, um, to wrap himself around Brad Parker and bring him down to the ground. And um, as we touched on, the the Knights won that game by two points, so that would have been the difference. And, uh, yeah, he stopped the try towards the end as well. Um, Matt Singh Award for Best Try Saver of the round goes to Andrew McCulloch. That's a great nomination. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We're going to take a, a quick break. Uh, we're going to head to question two of our quiz before we head to our big question. Where to for the Broncos from here? It's quiz time. And remember, no cheating. Question two. Of the top 10 point scorers in State of Origin history, there is one player from the Blues who averaged over 10 points a game from his eight appearances. Who is it? Stick around for one more question and of course the answers. And now it's time for the big question. Welcome back to Above the Horizontal, a rugby league podcast. My name is Bern Nicholson. I'm joined as always by Kieran Gibson and Miles Stedman. Uh, how did you go with uh, question two of the quiz? Uh, make sure there's no cheating. Now, as for questions, we have the big question. Where to for the Broncos from here? Now, we actually did plan to talk about this last week when the Broncos had only lost five in a row. Uh, and we thought, surely, <laughs> surely not. Surely they couldn't lose to the Warriors. And unfortunately, this, this question has become even more relevant uh, because as, as we talk, uh, it's Tuesday evening uh, on the 7th of July, which means the team list has just been named uh, a few hours ago. And no changes for the Broncos. Um, they, they've decided to, to persist with Pangard Jr. in the front row, Corey Oates in the second row. They're persisting with Milford and Croft in the halves. They're persisting with Darius Boyd in the centers. What's that saying about uh, the definition of insanity, right? It seems like Anthony <laughs> Seabold, to me, he actually had a really good opportunity here. Like with six losses, I feel like the Broncos have now crossed the threshold uh, where, you know, people have now come to realize that, okay, he's got a five-year deal with a one-year option on the end of it. The guy's sticking around. If they get rid of him with a three and a half years left on his contract, that's probably like three and a half million dollars I've got to pay him out. The board simply has to go. Heads have to roll because they were the ones that made the decision. It's not actually Anthony Seabold's fault. He was just promoted until he was out of his depth. The board were the ones that made the the bulky decision with the five-year deal. So they have to stick by him to save their own jobs. So they're going to stick by him. He's safe for now, I think. And the results with the team that he's had has crossed the threshold of it being the coach's fault now. He needs to throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Maybe it is dropping Darius Boyd. Maybe it is dropping Corey Oates. Maybe it is dropping Matthew Lodge, who I think is injured. Uh, maybe it is trying a, a new fullback or getting rid of Anthony Milford. Because surely doing the same thing over and over again simply isn't going to cut the mustard, Kieran. Uh, definitely not. Um, and I, I would touch on, as you just said, you named all those players that need to be dropped. Um, I think it's... And this isn't wholly uh, Seabold's fault, but 
he hasn't really accounted for any depth problems at the club. And that's a, that's a huge part of their issues, I, I feel, um, how much depth they have. If at any stage of the season, let's say that the Broncos were flying along and Anthony Milford or Brody Croft um, picked up an injury, um, he would have had to have picked Tom Dearden. And in a time of struggle now where they're, they're really not doing well, he says Tom Dearden's not good enough. So I, I have to to question how Tom Dearden would have been good enough as a backup if they picked up an injury. Um, he has said that his squad is very young, um, so I, I don't know why he didn't go out maybe and try and get more experience. Uh, at least uh, he picked up Ben Teo, um, and, and maybe he did that because he saw that the young forwards were struggling a little bit for leadership. You'd have to kind of say that that's probably the reason, a big part of the reason why he, he picked up Ben Teo. Um, but I, I strongly believe um, a lot of the blame that um, for the Broncos' downfall has to, to fall on Seabold. And I also agree that um, heads have to roll. I think Paul White, um, I, I don't think Wayne Bennett ever should have left the club, personally. I know that they're looking long-term um, and that Wayne Bennett probably wasn't in that plan. But if you look at um, Craig Bellamy, everything that he's done at the Melbourne Storm, um, they're letting him stay, and I'm sure they've got a succession plan in place. I think the Broncos could have followed a similar suit. Um, yeah, the, the I, Anthony Milford is another player just in the halves. If, if you're going to touch on players that need to be dropped after picking the same team again, um, he hasn't looked interested uh, in playing football for years, I don't think. And for me, if you don't look interested for half a game, sometimes you get hooked from the field um, by a coach. So for him to get away with it for, honestly, I, I, I really think you could, it's fair to say about three, four years. Um, it, it's just astounding that he's still still uh, out there and still being given the chance to turn around, be a big part of turning around Brisbane's season. Yeah, it's, it's sad times for Broncos fans. And um, where to from here? Uh, I would be... Uh, they've got their full 30 squad, and um, like you said, they've got to pay. If they Seabold moves on, they've got to pay him out a lot. They've really got to look at their recruitment quite strongly um, yeah, at, at the end of the season and when they can. As for this season, I, I don't know. I think they're just going to have to ride it out, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think they have much of an option when it comes to uh, Seabold's contract, as I said. Uh, one, thing I'm, one thing I'm interested in picking your brain about, Miles, is... Uh, you've mentioned a couple of times uh, previously in the podcast how much you've been enjoying Matt Dufty uh, playing fullback for the Dragons recently. I know that, Kieran, you've also mentioned that before too. He was sat out uh, a few weeks ago when the Dragons were struggling a bit as McGregor was trying to find the right combination. And then he brought him back in. He moved Hunt to the bench and dummy half, essentially. Brought Adam Clune in and suddenly things clicked. So... Did sitting on the sideline actually give Dufty a bit of impetus to come back and like, no, I'll, I'll show you, I am a first grade footballer. I am good enough to be here. I can beat teams. Uh, and Milf is a good enough player. He's good enough to be a first grade player. Uh, Miles, I'm wondering, does chopping and changing, particularly with some of those experienced players, do you think that might be uh, a good option for the Broncos at this time? Well, I think it has to be. And I think it's interesting because a few weeks ago we were talking about McGregor and Seabold in much the same vein of uh, two coaches that were under enormous pressure. And one took one option, uh, and that's McGregor, who took the option of chopping and changing the team around until something uh, worked. And Seabold kind of took the other path, which was pick and stick and 
basically choose the same team week in, week out and back them in. And look, uh, you, you've got to know what's right for your team at the end of the day. And not everything is, or um, not the same tactic is right for every single team. But maybe Seabold does need to go down that path of maybe benching or resting altogether a few of his players. Uh, like you said, Bo, maybe Milford is the one. Maybe, um, you know, as heartbreaking as it would be, maybe Darius Boyd needs to have a few weeks away. Um, but look, uh, as, as you guys have alluded to, uh, he's he's chosen this pick-and-stick method and it's clearly not working by this point. So I think you do need to try something different. And look, we, we didn't see McGregor having too much success or we didn't think he'd have that much success when we saw Adam Clune come in and, and Matt Dufty um, come back in after a pretty um, ordinary start to the season. So who knows, maybe... Um, Anthony Milford to fullback or even Tom Dearden in at hooker or at halfback or something like that would work because, well, you don't really know until you've tried, do you? Well, and I think I think you touched on that, that comparison really nicely there is that McGregor had the guts to try something, but one thing that he tried, which I hear people talk a lot about, they talk about Milford is on this much money, Boyd is on this much, much, much money, Fafida is on this much money, Jack Bird is on this much money, right? And if you sat Milford and Boyd and you've already got Fafita and Bird injured, that's a lot of your salary cap sitting on the bench. But what if you start winning games, right? Like, What if you start winning games? What's most important for your club? Is it sticking by these guys, patting their egos on the head and saying, look, I mean, we paid this much money for you, so we may as well use you in your preferred position. Or do you sit there and go, hang on a second, like, Corey Norman, I know you want to be a 5'8", but I'm going to try it fullback this week. And Ben Hunt, yeah, okay, I know you're on like $1.2 million a year because we paid you to be a halfback, but right now I think winning a football game is going to be putting you at dummy half. Hey, it, like, even in their losses, they've looked pretty good at times, the Dragons. So uh, does does Anthony Seabold have the intestinal fortitude to, to make that really tough decision with a couple of guys that probably have egos um, equivalent to their paychecks. Uh, I, I'm not sure he has. Uh, on the evidence of this week's team list, I would say he doesn't. But if they get rolled by the Bulldogs this week, and the Bulldogs, with respect, they're trying hard, but they're a reserve-grade team for the most part, that's that's seven in a row for the Broncos. We're in uncharted territory there. Um, they've, they've got to be trying something. So uh, do we, I think we all agree that the Broncos... They look like they're going to have to stick with Seabold. They simply have to. Uh, if they don't stick with him, the board members are the ones that are culpable for that, and they have to go as well. So in the meantime, they, to save their own jobs, they're going to try and stick this out. They have to start winning games. Doing the same thing over and over again, it's not working, guys. And even if you do beat the Bulldogs this week, is it a false dawn? Maybe. Uh, so let's see how the Broncos go. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for that. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we've got quiz question three coming up and then the controversial take, which is inspired by one of the more controversial takes I've seen on Twitter recently from Warren Smith. Who is the worst signing of the NRL era? Back soon. It's quiz time and remember no cheating. Question three. There are now 13 rugby league immortals, but who were the original four. Stick around to the end of the show for the answers. And now it's time for this week's controversial take. 
Welcome back to Above the Horizontal. My name is Bo. I'm talking with Kieran and Miles as always, and we are about to dissect uh, our controversial take for the week, which is who is the worst signing of the NRL era? This was inspired by perhaps not the most inspired tweet going around from Warren Smith, uh, semi-popular Fox Sports commentator. Um, and I believe a West Magpies fan from way back, so that might give you some context for the tweet. The tweet goes, Not only should Joey Leilua get six weeks for his high shot on Dylan Edwards, at the end of the suspension, the Tigers should tear up his contract. Worst signing by any club in the NRL era. And then he goes on to say, Actually, the Tigers should be made to pa- to extend the Leilua deal by 12 months and play him in every game as punishment for thinking there was an upside in signing him. Was there anybody who thought he wouldn't be the same hothead he's always been who consistently hurts his team? My question to you guys, apart from who is the worst signing of the NRL era, is who the heck hurt Warren Smith? I'm guessing I'm guessing it may be Joey Leilua. Um, it seems that he's gone in real hard at a player there. I, I wouldn't be expecting uh, any friendly interviews from Joey Leilua with Warren Smith anytime soon. Thankfully, Warren Smith doesn't do much of the sideline writing. Um, look, guys, I, I strongly disagree with Warren Smith on this one. This seems like absolute hyperbole to the to the nth degree. I would say that Joey Leilua, in fact, is not the worst signing for the Tigers. He's actually a guy that can win football games. He can lose you a game. He can be a hothead, sure, but he can actually win you football games too. And the Tigers don't, they kind of need that. I think, and I I haven't done extensive research into this admittedly, but uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me, when I think of the worst signings of the NRL era is Ben Barber to the Cowboys, which I was actually really excited about uh, when I heard about it. I knew about his checkered history, but he is a, he is a North Queensland guy. Uh, he plays some good footy over in the Super League. Uh, he had uh, amazing seasons at the Bulldogs uh, and the Sharks. Uh, the Sharks, when they won the comp, uh, was largely because of Ben Barber's impact at fullback. Uh, so I was quite excited um, that the Cowboys were going to be getting a high-quality fullback to round out their spine. Uh, however, uh, before the season even started, he got himself in very big trouble for uh, doing something unspeakable with his partner in public. Uh, and and fair enough, got his contract torn up. Uh, but, you know, the Cowboys still were out a very high-quality fullback uh, at a decent price. So I think that's the worst signing in NRL hit, uh, era that I can think of. Kieran, who do you think is the worst signing of the NRL era? First of all, is Warren Smith on the money here, or is he uh, a bit batshit, in your opinion? Um, I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't say he's a, a bit batshit, but I can kind of see where he's coming from. Um, and a lot of it is down to that grand final. Maybe this is harsh calling it on one moment, but it's a grand final, and Joey Leilua, um, in that try where Tedesco streaks away and ultimately decides the game, Joey Leilua pretty much did nothing to to stop that try. Um, from memory, his uh, flapped his arms um, in an attempt to tackle or just. Uh, maybe it was wrong positioning, but either way, it was awful on his part as a, a, an NRL first-grade player. Um, and he has had those kind of moments. Um, I, I, I could not by any means call him the worst signing of the NRL era, but I can sort of see... Someone said, I think, that he's a Tigers fan. I can see where he's probably, as you pointed out, had a bit too much courage juice, and that's kind of led to 
led to what he's um, said, yeah. So who, yeah. who do you have then as the worst signing of the NRL era? Uh, I have Sam Tompkins coming from, I believe it was Wigan Warriors to the New Zealand Warriors. Um, and I think he was signed on a multi-million dollar deal. I haven't done the research on this either. And um, I think it was three or four years and he left short. He left after two years. Um, he did in those two years, he played 37 games and I just saw he scored 14 tries. So he wasn't maybe as bad as um, as I was making it out to be, but he came with a lot of hype. Um, he actually came and I'm pretty sure the Warriors were saying this is the guy that's going to deliver us a premiership um, and that did not um, come to fruition at all and he just never looked the player that England said he was. He never seemed settled. Um, I do remember a couple of times at least um, him saying that he was homesick and wanted to go back and that eventually happened. Um, he would have to be my worst signing uh, at least from me- recent memory um, in the NRL era. The English Billy Slater, he was touted as, uh, if memory serves, uh, quite the underwhelming performance from Sam Tompkins when he went to the Warriors. Good call. Um, Miles, what do you reckon about Warren Smith? You reckon he's on the money with his outrageous call? or And I'm probably just spinning it a little bit there. Do you reckon he's on the money? Or if he's not, who is the worst signing of the NRL era? Look, I, I can't say that he is on the money um it's only been what maybe nine months since the signing was took place so we'll give it a little bit more time in the oven before we start calling that one um the worst or or one of the worst but look kieran first of all i like your call with sam Tompkins, and um what i wanted to add on to that uh, the tale of that is that they also in addition to his wages they pay them we get a massive uh english style transfer fee to complete the transaction because he was, of course, in the midst of his contract with um, the Wigan Warriors, so that was that. I think that neared about one million um, Australian dollars as well. So uh, <laughs> a real, a real kick in the teeth there too. But look, I'm gonna I'm gonna steer away from Tonkins, and I'm gonna call Jared Hayne to the Titans as my worst oh. signing of the NRL era. Um, oh. Look that. The, the finances were for this guy were, were really ugly, given he was coming back from the NFL. And we've seen, um, uh, and I guess Rugby Sevens as well, and we've, we've seen a lot of guys um, uh, in that position um, probably not have their legs under them um, when, they, when they come back from another sport. Um, so I think to kind of... Obviously, they're paying a, a fair premium here, the Titans, to get him up to the Gold Coast, but... To give him, you know, 1.2 million, I think it was in uh, in three consecutive years, um, if my memory serves me correct, is a bit ridiculous. And I think he played out maybe in total a season's worth of games in that deal before they basically just paid him to go away. And <laughs> combine that with the fact that he set the <laughs> set the club back about um, maybe three years in their development, um, in, in crucial years with guys like Ash Taylor on on board and and then i think it was neil henry was the coach basically got him fired uh it was a a really it was not just a bad on-field signing it was not just a bad financial signing but it was a real kind of club shaker which basically turned it on its head and is is why the titans are where they are today which is a promising club but years behind the rest of the league well i'll tell you what kieran i don't know about you but that's actually sold it to me a little bit that that because I had forgotten, I, I remembered that he was underwhelming on the field, barring like one 
field goal to beat the Tigers, I believe. Uh, Indeed. It was, yeah, in Campbelltown, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I, I I have forgotten about all that stuff where he basically got the coach fired. He stalled the club. He, he basically robbed them of money. Uh, and they haven't recovered. The Cowboys, at least, they haven't recovered per se, but they've replaced Barber with Holmes. You know, like, that's much of a muchness. Um uh, the Warriors replaced Tompkins with Tuovasa Shek. That's a win <laughs> for the for the Warriors. Um, the Titans are yet to recover. I'm actually leaning towards Miles on this one. What What do you reckon, Kieran? I would lean towards towards Miles as well. Um, I didn't account for how how just bad not just a bad signing it was, but how it ruined the club um, altogether. Yeah, I would have to say Hayne takes the cake. So you win the bold prediction, Miles, and you also win the controversial take. Well done to you, sir. You're in good form. Thank you very much. And look, I, I think if if we can call this one a, a tie, um, Barber never played a game for the Cowboys, so that's a pretty terrible signing. Uh, Tompkins <laughs> was maybe the worst financial signing, given he was on the most of the three players. And yeah, Hayne kind of basically shook the foundations of his entire club. So maybe in, in three different ways, it's a, a three-way tie. You're a, you're a very generous, Miles. Uh, and Kieran, we're going to jump into the tips for round nine. I'm hoping you might be a little bit generous to our Cowboys as they take on the Roosters <laughs> in the Thursday night game. Surely, surely they can't win that one, Kieran. Uh, um, well, lots of news to start off from this Thursday night uh, blockbuster uh, with um, multi-million <laughs> million dollar signing Holmes on the wing, um, which means that youngster Hamiso Tabuai Fido plays at fullback, and Opacic and O'Neill are both out with... Oh, um, Opacic is out with a leg injury, and I believe O'Neill is out with HIA, or I could be getting those two mixed up um, for reasons why they're out. Um, anyway, the Cowboys were blown away by the Eels, um, a team flying with confidence, and in a similar vein to the Roosters, their Thursday night opponents. Um, there could be some special foot races in this one with the speed of both outside back lines. Hopefully, for the Cowboys' sake, some of those races result in points for and not against. Um, yeah, I've, I've got the Roosters running away with it and the Cowboys' season to be hanging by a thread at the end. Uh, I'm going to throw a line at you. Kieran, uh, have you got the Cowboys plus or minus fifty nine? <laughs> yeah, I would. If I'm a betting man, I'm, I'm saying we're starting off plus fifty nine. Okay, good. Uh, same as the Broncos. Then that's, that's that's a good place to be at the moment. Same as the Broncos. Look, I'm going for the Roosters. Hopefully, by less than fifty nine. Uh, Miles, who do you reckon's got this one? Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't seen enough of the Cowboys the past few weeks to to say they're going to challenge the Roosters here, so it's it's going to be the Roosters for me. All right, and if you can take uh, another heavyweight game, actually, uh, the Titans versus the Warriors. <laughs> Look, I, I actually thought a, a long and hard uh, about this one. Um, and look, I, I'm still not entirely convinced that I'm right here, but I, I think they're both playing, even despite the last week, I think they're still playing reasonably with the same level of football these two given their oppositions um in recent weeks but look the the titans are at home so i'm going to go from them here because i i feel like they they play just that little bit better at home um as again despite recent weeks form um look it, it i could be totally wrong and the warriors could be starting a mini resurgence here but at, at this stage i'm going for the titans 
I'm going to go for the Warriors. I feel like Tuovasa Shek coming back in. I like Harris Tavita at 5 8. Uh, I think there's a way forward for them there somewhere, even though Nick Rima has been good. Um, Wade Egan's in good touch. Uh, Blake Green's a good player. I'm going to go for the Warriors. What do you think, Kieran? Yeah, I look at the Titans um, lineup and I kind of, to be honest, with all due respect, I kind of go, who is that? Um, and <laughs> they've, they've dropped, they've dropped Tyrone Roberts. I'm not, I'm not Justin Holbrook, so I don't know how he goes about um, on the training paddock, Tyrone Roberts, whether his attitude is poor, but um, that's a bit puzzling for me. Uh, I can't go past the Warriors in this one, although I, I can't say that with any um, great deal of confidence either. Yeah, it's indicative of the quality of two teams. Uh, a couple of teams with maybe a little bit more quality uh, later on Friday night is the Rabbitohs and the West Tigers. The Rabbitohs were scratchy in their win against the Bulldogs, uh, while the Tigers were pretty gallant, really, in their loss to the Panthers. I'd say you can throw last week's results to the wayside with picking a winner here. Uh, for the Rabbitohs, uh, Bailey Sirenen comes in onto the bench for Braden Burns. Uh, for the otherwise unchanged Rabbitohs, while the Tigers have Michael Cheekham playing in the centres to replace hot-headed and worse signing of the NRL era, Joey Lua, <laughs> uh, after his after his brain explosion last start. Uh, Luciano Lua, Sam McIntyre and Moses Mbai might be carrying injuries into this one, or at least will be underdone in preparation uh, with the amount of class the Rabbitohs have in key positions, particularly their spine. I'm expecting them to win, but in a close one. Miles, who do you have, Rabbitohs or Tigers? I too have the Rabbitohs. I think, as you said, the Tigers are still probably not 100% sold on their best lineup, and they've got a few injuries to boot, so I'm going to go the Rabbitohs here. And Kieran? I toss and turn a bit on this one. I think, to be honest, the Tigers are probably the more competitive side, but the class in the Rabbitohs side has me tipping them. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Uh, Sharks and Panthers is the Saturday afternoon game that you're going to be covering for us, Kira? Um, So the Sharks are um, winning the games they need to be at the moment, and it's got them in the top eight um, at right now in seventh spot. Uh, meanwhile, the Panthers sit pretty in second spot. Moylan's out with a hamstring injury, and so they're just as equally injury-prone Dugan reverts back to fullback. Um, Molotalo is back as well on the wing and the Panthers have To'o out. However, they will, I think they'll come away with the two points and, uh, bring the Sharks back down to earth after a three game winning streak. Yeah. Brent Naden moving to the wing with Dean Fare coming back into the side is a pretty decent way to replace Brian To'o. I'm going to go with the Panthers as well. Miles, uh, Sharks or Panthers for you? I'm going for the Panthers too. I think they've well proven that they've got the class to beat the really competitive but not quite good enough sides. Agreed, agreed. And uh, Miles, uh, speaking of competitive sides, you've got the Broncos and the Bulldogs. Yeah, this is another surprisingly tough one. But uh, look, again, I think despite pretty even football from both teams and by even, yes, I mean crap, um, I I think that... um, uh, as much as I hate to say it, guys, I think Suncorp Stadium is going to get the Broncos over the line here. I, I just don't think this uh, traveling team of Bulldogs reserve-grade players is going to have a, enough to go up to Suncorp and get the win. I tell you what, though, they are going to bring some heart with them. 
I'm going to tip with my heart. I'm going to go with the Bulldogs. This <laughs> is because I want, <laughs> I want there to be some consequences for the Broncos picking the same team over and over again. I feel like if they beat the Bulldogs, it's going to give them the confidence to keep picking Darius Boyd forever and ever. Um, so I'm going to go with the Bulldogs for their own damn good, the Broncos. Uh, Kieran, who do you reckon? I might, I might join you, um, just purely because the Bulldogs are probably thinking the Broncos are, are really down and out at the moment, and I think the Bulldogs actually play with, not not a lot, but for the squad they have, they seem to play with a bit of confidence. I know one of their best players in Adam Elliott is out, but um, no, I think I'll, I'll say the Bulldogs to, to beat the Broncos and further compound their misery. <laughs> you can tell that we're Brisbane-based Cowboys fans, can't you? <laughs> like, just, yes, stick it in and twist it. Twist it. Um, okay. uh, speaking of interstate teams, uh, the Raiders and the Storm are on Saturday night, the game of the evening. Uh, last time these teams played feels so long ago, doesn't it? Uh, the Raiders effortlessly brushed the Storm aside in round three to claim premiership favoritism, as it were, at the time. Now they're in a fight to make the top six. They've lost Sia Soliola and Emra Gula to injury, while Curtis Scott appears to have fallen out of favor. I'm very keen to see Kai O'Donnell debut after hearing about his progress for a couple of years. The Storm have moved Cameron Smith back to hooker at this stage, with Cameron Munster perhaps optimistically named among the reserves. If the Raiders are going to beat the Storm, it's going to be after the amount of energy they drained on the Roosters, and without Munster. So I am going to go for the Raiders in a tight one, which might, now that I read it out, sounds insane. Uh, Miles, are you going for the Raiders or the Storm? I think last time this fixture came around, I said there's no way the Storm are going to lose to the Raiders twice in a row. Um, And I'm going (laughs) to, even though they did, I'm going to say there's no way that Craig Bellamy and the Storm are going to lose to the Raiders three times in a row. So I'm going to pick the Storm here. I'm sure hoping that next time we have this conversation, you're like, I really don't think Bellamy is going to let the Storm lose four times in a row to the Raiders. <laughs> uh, Kieran, who do you think, the Raiders or the Storm? Uh, I think the Storm really made a statement last week and showed that they can still be a, a top four side. I've, I've had a, quite a few mates tell me that the Storm will make the eight, but not the top four. Um, I think the Storm will beat the Raiders. So I am crazy. Yeah, I thought that might be the case. Uh, okay, uh, Kieran, you have uh, the first Sunday game, which is the Knights and the Eels. That could be quite the match, actually. Oh, I have it as um, match of the round. Um, I think the Kalen Ponga obviously was a bit down on uh, form last weekend and has been for a little bit, and then he's up against Gutherson, who's absolutely flying at the moment. But the the matchups um, are, are are really tantalizing in this one. Um Although you've got to say, I think the Eels um, are just just going along too too well at the moment. Um, they've got pretty much the same team starting that that rolled through the Cowboys. That trio of Junior Paulo, uh, Regan Campbell Gillard, and Marata Niakore, Excuse me if I've pronounced that wrong. They were um, really red hot against the Cowboys, and I think the Knights, despite I've been very impressed with the improvement of a few of their forwards as well. I think that roll-on that the Eels will get um, will really provide a, a platform for their backs to, to really uh, show their attacking creativity and win the game for them. 
Uh, Nathan Brown also comes in for the Eels, I believe, uh, which is yes. which is a big in for them. I've I've yeah, I've got the Eels on this one. Miles, Miles or the Eels? I've got the Eels in this one. I, I still think they're the best team in the league, so I'm going to go with them. Great, and you have our last game, which is the Dragons and the Sea Eagles, if you can. Yeah, look, I'm I'm certain the Dragons will give a, a good account of themselves in this game, as they have been the past few weeks, and sure they give the Sea Eagles a good run. But I, I think that the Sea Eagles have really proven that they can play without Tom Trebojevic the past few weeks, and uh, I was really impressed with them last week in their uh, somewhat controversial loss to the Knights. So I'm going to go to the Sea Eagles here. I, I think it'll be probably a little bit closer than some expect, but I'd be surprised if they lost. I am going to go for the Dragons on this one, but more on that shortly. Uh, Kieran, Dragons or Seagulls? Wow. Uh, Yeah, I think I'll have to lean towards Seagulls. Yeah, Seagulls. All right, time for bold predictions, gentlemen. I'll start us off. I just sort of gave a little bit of a clue to mine. I think Matt Dufty is going to score two tries as the Dragons beat the Seagulls. So that is my hot tip. Dufty for two tries to beat the Sea Eagles. Miles, what's your bold prediction? My bold prediction is that Herbie Farnworth will bag two tries in a big pressure-relieving Broncos win. Ooh, very interesting. And Kieran, what is your bold prediction for this week? Uh, It it doesn't bring me any pride to say this, um, but I'm predicting that all three Queensland teams are going to lose this weekend. Wow. So that's Bulldogs to beat the Broncos. That's the Warriors to beat the Titans. And shockingly, the Roosters to beat the Cowboys. Um, I just, I don't know how you, uh, how you sleep at night with those sort of predictions. Uh, no, that's, that'll be, that'll be an interesting one. That'll be very interesting. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this evening. It's, it's been a pleasure as always. Go the Cowboys. Somewhat reluctantly, he says. <laughs> Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Your regular panellists are Miles Steadman and Kieran Gibson. Our theme song is Tough Nut by Ryan Cross. I'm Bo Nicholson. Hey, thanks for sticking around. You've earned yourself some answers to our quiz. Question one. How many teams have won the Premiership at least three times in the NRL era? which is, of course, since 1998. The answer is three. The Broncos have won three. 1998, 2000, 2006. Melbourne have won three officially. 1999, 2012, and 2017. And the Roosters have won four. 2002, 13, 18, and 19. Question two. Of the top 10 point scorers in state of origin history, there is one player from the Blues who averaged over 10 points a game from his eight appearances. Who is it? The answer is Ryan Girdler, who scored 82 points in his eight appearances, including, of course, 32 in that huge win in 2000. And question three, there are now 13 Rugby League Immortals. Who were the original four? The answer is fullback Clive Churchill, lock forward Johnny Raper, Centre, Reg Gaznier, 
And centre or 5 Bob Fulton. Thanks for listening.